Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back, and we're going to talk Heisman. I think you guys like it, like it when we rank stuff sometimes. So we want to we want to put players in context. We want to put teams in context. Shahan, I had gone back and sort of just looked at the topics we had done in the last couple months, and we have done some good things on teams. We've done some historic stuff. We've done some rules. We've done some theory. I always get locked down in like college football theory. What does college football really mean in the new universe? And then sometimes when people are like, can we just talk about the players? So we're going to do a Heisman draft right now, looking ahead to what we think might happen this season in the Heisman race. And we're going to do that by drafting guys in six different categories. And the categories that we have are returning starting quarterback, new starting quarterback, whether you're the new guy who's been at the school and is going to win the job, or you're a transfer, but you're the new starter at that school. and like you weren't the primary starter last year. Maybe you started a couple games, but you weren't the primary guy. Then we're going running back, pass catcher, which is tight end or receiver, defensive player, and then a wild card, which is your just chance to take another guy that fits in any category. So we'll each wind up drafting six Heisman candidates. And the goal is, you know, you get the most guys who finish in the top 10 and have the winner or whatever. So we'll come back in the year and check on this. Uh, Shahan, do you think this is a worthwhile exercise or should people just tune out right now? Yeah, I mean, no reason that you should be listening to this podcast, right? This is probably not worth uh, their time, I'd imagine. No, obviously, I'm not going to uh, convince you to not listen to this podcast. No, but I I do think that it is interesting because we are at a moment right now. It's, uh, you know, recording this on April 4th, where rosters, I think, are pretty much set. I don't think we're going to have any true Heisman contender switch teams in the in the post spring transfer period and so I I think that this is like a good first look where we actually get to understand how players are we we have a little bit of feedback maybe from spring camps too uh that I think maybe helps the the equation a bit as well so no I I think this is a good time to kind of take our first crack at it and I like that uh we're not just going to make a list of 10 quarterbacks yeah no that's Always a good thing because it's very easy to do that. And when you go through, I was looking on um, DraftKings and looking at the Heisman odds. I mean, it's all quarterbacks. And a, and the, the thing is interesting is there are a lot of returning, high caliber returning starters at quarterback this year. So, so you could, if we just did the top 10 guys, we could almost fill it with returning starting quarterbacks because there are so many worthwhile people there. So we do want to spread it around a little bit. And a year ago at this time, we were talking a lot about Will Anderson in Alabama. We were talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba in Ohio State. Jackson Smith and Jigba blew up before it even started. Will Anderson had a good year, but not a great year. And Alabama had a good year, but not a great year. So we didn't really ever get into a full-throated Will Anderson-Heisman debate. But obviously, what a guy does the year before really matters in sort of propelling them. I think there are a couple guys who have a chance to be propelled by what they did last year. But let's start the draft. We're going to draft 12 guys overall. Shahan, I'll give the first pick to you. No snake draft. So we'll just go back and forth. Who are you taking number one? Well, I think that, you know, my strategy always when it comes to this draft is scarcity, right? I, I think that obviously there's going to be a lot of returning quarterbacks with some high value. There's obviously going to be a lot of new quarterbacks with some high value. 
But I'm going to go with the player who I think is by far the highest value pick on the board at their position. I'm going to go with Marvin Harrison Jr. Why? Why would you even do that? Why would you do that? He's 100 to 1. He's 100 to 1, but it's also a great pick. I was also the guy last year who was beating the Jackson Smith and Jigba drum. And I maintain that uh, that if he had stayed healthy, I think he would have been in New York and maybe would have been in New York over his quarterback, CJ Stroud. Uh, I think that whenever you look at receiver, there's a couple factors that you need to take into account because we do actually have, I guess, an example of a receiver winning it lately in 2020 with Devontae Smith. You need to be the unquestioned guy. That's not a problem at Ohio State. Obviously, they've got awesome players, like so many awesome players who are going to contribute for them. But when you think Ohio State and when you think Ohio State's receiving core, it's Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Uh, shout out to Emeka Buka, who is somebody who I think will have comparable stats to Marvin Harrison Jr., but nobody questions who the alpha is in that receiver room. And I think that'll help him out. Uh, I think that not having a name at quarterback is probably going to help him out as well because I think he will get a lot of the credit for the passing offense as I think that he should. The type of offense that you play in certainly plays a big role and Ohio State plays one of the pass happiest offenses in college football right now. So I think he has a chance to have the combination of elite numbers, of uh, elite talent, Big name, obviously the the name Marvin Harrison means a little bit to people around football. And also, I think that the storyline aspect is very easy. It's that they lost potentially the number one pick in the NFL draft at quarterback, maintained, uh, potentially even like, you know, maybe took a small step forward and then have a chance to obviously go and play Michigan and have a chance to beat Michigan and win the Big Ten for the first time in a couple of years. So I think the storyline is very easy from that perspective. And uh, so I have to go Marvin Harrison Jr. with my first pick. He's actually 50 to 1. He's not 100 to 1. I was exaggerating to make <laughs> you seem ridiculous. But it's a really smart pick because I agree with everything you said. The storyline is there. The credit, the credit, the credit, the credit. There's not. It's going to be viewed as Marvin Harrison Jr. lifting up whoever wins the Ohio State starting quarterback battle. And, and as of their scrimmage this past Saturday, Ryan Day said it's still a battle. Nobody has seized it between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. And there's going to be, just like there was, this is the Will Anderson conversation, which is the, he's the best player. So I don't think, and this is not, this is a theory conversation. We don't want to have a theory conversation today. I don't think Heisman is best player. I don't think it, 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 it goes beyond that to me. There is all the other things that matter. But, but sometimes like people lately, right? That was the thing when Will Anderson didn't get to New York two years ago. It's like, but he's, like, he's the best player. I know Aiden Hutchinson did this for Michigan. And I know the quarterbacks mean this much. But who's the best football player? I think that conversation coalesces around Marvin Harrison Jr. this year. And it's just a little easier for a receiver than a defensive guy. So I think this is a really smart pick. He's clearly the number one receiver in the country. I, th I think this is the only guy you could apply this to as a receiver. Pass catcher will maybe extend that. And I think he's the most obvious when you go to running backs, there's not a guy this obvious. So I think this is a really good number one pick. And again, right now on DraftKings, Kyle McCord is 25 to one, I believe. No, Kyle McCord's 22 to one. And Marvin, as the quarterback, the expected winner of the quarterback job at Ohio State, Marvin Harrison's 50 to one. I don't agree with that. Because I think Marvin Harrison, 
for Kyle McCord to win the Heisman, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to have a huge year. I almost like I almost don't think there's a path for the Ohio State quarterback to win the Heisman this year because I think if they're so good to be a Heisman contender, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be the guy because I can't imagine a world where it's like, oh, the Ohio State quarterback threw for 4,400 yards and Marvin Harrison Jr. had like 1050 and nine touchdowns and was part of it. He's going to be the focus of it. No, and I think that I think that a big thing that you mentioned, uh, you know, I think it's a, a smart point about the Ohio State quarterback is that they're going to be competing with Marvin Harrison Jr., who is a bigger name. Even if, frankly, if Kyle McCord or whoever ends up starting is better, like it kind of doesn't matter. There's one who's a bigger name, and this is a storyline award. The other part of this, too, is that whoever starts at quarterback is going to be directly compared to C.J. Stroud and to Justin Fields before him. They have to be better, most likely, than what C.J. Stroud was the past two years. Now, obviously, they have the advantage of they have the chance to beat Michigan, and that's something that C.J. Stroud never did as a starting quarterback. So that does help their candidacy, but I think that they have to at least be as good, if not better, than C.J. Stroud to have any chance of winning that award. And listen, I mean, I, 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 I threw a lot of shade at C.J. Stroud over the years on this podcast, but like, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask. That's a lot to ask for a first year starting quarterback to come in and be better than one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country and potentially the number one pick in the NFL draft. I, I'm not holding anybody to that standard. And, and like you said, I, I mean, it's just it's I don't think that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to have to deal with that baggage. OK, I think it's a good pick at number one. I normally would not do this because. I normally stay away from this because I think it's very difficult to do. But I will take Caleb Williams here. And the reason that I will take Caleb Williams is because I don't think he was a great Heisman winner last year. We did an exercise on this pod, I think in January, maybe when you were on a break. And I tried to rank in the last however many, I think in the playoff era, the best Heisman candidates. And I don't think he was in the top 10 because – he was his stats were very good, but his team didn't make the playoff. And you, he had a weird, like a weird start to the year last year. And so, a lot of times, the toughest competition for a guy trying to repeat as a Heisman winner is yourself. I think he can beat himself, and if he can do that, I think it is on the table for Caleb Williams to just come out and clearly be the best player in college football put up the best stats, run the best offense, have a team that is in the thick of the playoff race all year, maybe wins the Pac-12 championship game, and that it is just like a no-brainer case. I I think that is possible here. And that's why I am willing to do this in a world where we have had this, you know, there were not, it used to be that guys in their final year won the Heisman all the time. And now you look at the last, whatever it is, 20 years or so, Matt Leiner, Tim Tebow, Sam Bradford, Mark Ingram, Johnny Manziel, Jameis Winston, Lamar Jackson, Bryce Young. All these guys have won and come back. They obviously haven't repeated. Jackson was a finalist again. Tim Tebow was a finalist again, right? Guys have had good years, but I think the toughest thing is beating, is topping what you did before. I think Caleb Williams can top it. Now, he did have great stats, He had amazing stats. He was fourth in the nation in passing yards per game at 324. But I think he can do better than that. He had in his one, two, three, four, five, six, first six games last year, he only had two games of 300 passing yards in his first six games. Slow start. 
if he hits the ground running and is just throwing for 365 every week and we see the fully formed Lincoln Riley world, I, I think it could be a landslide. I think I think it could be one of those where, I mean, it's like there was not even a thing of like, well, yeah, all these other guys are good, but he won it last year and he is significantly more impactful, a part of a more winning team, better. He's going to be the number one pick in the draft and it's just almost over before it starts. So I'll take Caleb Williams here, number two. No, I, I think it's a good pick. I, th- I think that what you mentioned is smart, which is when you look at those past Heisman winners, there's essentially no way for them to one up what they did before because it, you don't have to match the level of what you did before. You have to exceed it. You know, that was the thing with Johnny Manziel in year two and Lamar Jackson in year two. That was why I was kind of low on Bryce Young having a chance to do that uh, in his second season because I felt like they went, you know, 12 and one and won the SEC. Maybe they can go and win the national championship, but you won't even know that by the time the Heisman voting is done. So uh, I, I think that uh, Caleb Williams absolutely has a path. There are things that he can do in the regular season in the Pac-12 championship game that he did not accomplish last season. Uh, I, I think that there's not really a question right now who the brightest star at quarterback is in the country right now. Uh, I mean, look, whenever USC hires Lincoln Riley, this is what they dreamed of, right? This is what they dreamed of, of being a school on the West Coast that everybody is talking about. And whether it's his play on the field, whether it's, Whatever drama people like to create with him on the, you know, on the sidelines, whether it's in painting his nails, like Caleb Williams is the biggest star in college football by a pretty good margin. I don't even know who the close second would be. And if he continues to play at the level that we know he can play at, and if he takes another step forward, which he took a huge step between year one and year two, obviously. Yeah, I absolutely think that there's a pathway for Caleb Williams to win a, a second Heisman. Now, would I pick it? Probably not, because I think that there's a lot of people who do feel like among voters that we don't want to give it to the same guy twice. But this is as good a chance as I feel as we've seen since. Uh, what, what is it? Archie Griffin, right at Ohio State. Only one. Yeah. So uh, so I think it's reasonable. He's the favorite at five to one right now. Again, Marvin Harrison Jr. is 50 to one. So I think it's uh, I think it's like right, it's pathways. We can see the path here. All right, those are our first two picks. Shahan took a pass catcher. I took a returning starter at quarterback. That means we can't take another guy like that. We have a lot more draft picks ahead, though. We'll do all that next in the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan, pick three to you. So I'm going to go with another, uh, I guess, scarcity pick over here. And I'm going to go with a new quarterback. I'm going to I'm going to save my returning quarterback for later. But uh, you mentioned it off the top. It's somebody who's starting for the first time at a new place. He just so happens to be one of the most experienced players in all of college football at the same time. I absolutely love the fit of Sam Hartman going to Notre Dame. I think that when you look at Notre Dame last season, they managed to win nine games despite really, really inconsistent quarterback play because of injuries, because of at times poor receiver play. I I love them bringing in Sam Hartman, somebody who's going to settle down that position. I I remember looking at him as a potential draft prospect coming into the 23 draft, and he was 
listed in the fifth or sixth round of the draft because he comes from this kind of weird Wake Forest offense. And I, I just think that that is so off. I think that that is so, so, so off. He's going to go come into a pro style system. You know, he doesn't have the, the sort of gigantic arm is probably going to be the one thing that, that hurts him as a prospect, but man, he is just somebody who knows how to play the position. Uh, you know, I, I'd advise people to go watch some of his tape. He is probably one of the best, like, Man, like, like he maneuvers in the pocket, I guess, better than anybody maybe that I've ever seen. It part of it is that offense and the way that it sets you up. But man, he is just so comfortable, so confident back there. And now he's going to team up at Notre Dame with the most talented team. Uh, I'd argue that he's ever played with. Something that I will be kind of keeping an eye on is is how dynamic they can be at receiver around him. They have two kids coming in. I, I think I mentioned before from the state of Texas who are elite, elite wide receiver recruits and Jaden Greathouse and Braylon James, who I think can both be on the field right away and add a level of dynamic play that we haven't seen at Notre Dame in quite a while. And I, I just think that the the sky's the limit for him. And they have so many high-profile games in 2023 as well where he's going to have a chance to go out and build a Heisman case. you know. And, and I, I think that you look, obviously, at that Ohio State game on September 23rd. That's going to be played in South Bend. If he's able to outduel that Ohio State offense, I mean then he's the favorite, right? Like he's the favorite right there. If that were to happen, they play Clemson later in the year. He actually has a return game against Wake Forest. He actually plays the Heisman favorite, Caleb Williams on October 14th, also in South Bend. So, I mean, so many opportunities for them to make statements. I think that if they were to to find a way to get to 11 and one, and if they were able to to beat, you know, maybe split the games against Ohio State and USC and beat Clemson and win all the rest of the games, which that's tough. That's really dang tough. But if they're able to do that, one, I think they have a good chance to be at least on the borderline of the college football playoff. But the other thing, too, is I think that Sam Hartman basically guarantees himself a trip to New York if that happens. Now, I, I, the, the big game opportunities here are huge, which is and the idea that you are an elevator, you are going to take a really good program to a higher position in the college football landscape. There's a lot of opportunity there for Sam Hartman. I do think he is pretty much, no uh, no doubt about it, the best pick of the non-returning starters at quarterback. He's 15 to 1. He has the the best odds among the non-returning starters at quarterback. Obviously, again, there's a lot of returning starters at quarterback who have who are bigger favorites than he is, but I think that's a smart pick and I think it's there's there's enough of a difference. There's a couple guys that interest me, but I feel like in the non-returning starter quarterback category, but they're much bigger reaches than Sam Hartman is. There's no reach here. We know how good he is, and we know what Notre Dame is, and we know the opportunities that are there. So I'm going to take another guy then that I that I also think is not a reach. It's a path pick. Great player. Path pick, and I think in an alternate universe, might have won the Heisman a year ago. And I'll take Blake Corum at Michigan. The complicating factor here is that I think Donovan Edwards is great. That means they have two great running backs. Does that complicate things? But that Blake Corum stayed was maybe a little bit of a surprise, but I think he did so because he got hurt against Illinois. He did not play in the Ohio State game. He did not play in the Big Ten championship game. He did not play in the playoff, and that allowed us to see how good Donovan Edwards is. Because Donovan Edwards ripped off two runs at the end of that Ohio State-Michigan game to put Ohio State away. If that was Blake Corum, and this is Michigan putting Ohio State away on the black on the back of black, Blake Corum. And now they're going to the Big Ten Championship game and they're ramming the ball down people's throats. And then now they're in the right. That's the case in a world in a race last year that was very kind of waiting for someone to seize it. 
I don't know that I – I think Michigan's going to be really good this year. I think Michigan's going to be one of the four best teams. So who's their Heisman candidate? I think it's still more Blake Corum than J.J. McCarthy. And so I'll take him here. I like it. I don't love it, but I do – like him somewhat significantly more than the other running backs. There's one other running back that I was very tempted by, and maybe I'll make it my wild card pick, but I'll take Blake Corum here fourth. I'm actually very curious who that that pick is. We'll have to maybe see if I if I get to it first or if I go in a completely different direction. But no, I, I like it. The one reservation for me was the Donovan Edwards thing. I think he's going to be a much bigger part of that Michigan offense in 2024 or 2023 than he was in 2022. I think that he proved in the playoff and in the Big Ten title game and against Ohio State that you you just have to find touches for him. And so I think that it ends up being a little bit more like a 65-35, uh, 60-40 type split instead of maybe the 75-25 that it was last season. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, it is going to be interesting too. obviously, look, if you want to, if you wanted to take JJ McCarthy as your wild card, you know that you would not be stealing that from me. I am <laughs> not anywhere near as high on JJ McCarthy as you are, but I do think that that is going to be a complicating factor too, that you have three guys potentially in the same backfield who I think are going to split votes. And the other part of it too, that's going to be complicating is that they have to match the standard of what they did the last two seasons. If if they lose to Ohio State, it's over. There, there's no case for any of these guys, right? And so um, it'll be interesting. I, I think that certainly they have the tools. We've talked about it on this program a lot. This might be the best overall Michigan team but that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the results will follow either. That's obviously a complicating factor of college football. So I, I think that this is the right pick at running back, but I think that part of that is there's not an obvious pick at running back, obviously also because running backs don't typically return to college football. Yeah. Okay. Pick five to you. Where are you going? Okay. I think now is finally the time to take my returning quarterback. And I'm overthinking this a lot because obviously you got to fill a spot here, but I think that the path is there in just such an obvious way that Jordan Travis has to be that guy. I don't think he's the best quarterback left on the board. I I mean, you know, look, we might get to the conversation with some of them. I will make the comparison to Drake May, though, because I think that it's just an obvious one. Um, I I think that uh, that Drake May is a better player than Jordan Travis. But when you look at Jordan Travis's path, they have a chance with as much as they're returning and also adding, by the way, a really, really special freshman receiver in Hakeem Williams. I think that they have a chance to be really dynamic on the offensive side of the ball uh, for him to improve his numbers. And his numbers were very good last season. But the bigger thing is I think that Florida State has a chance to win the ACC. And, and if Florida State wins the ACC and goes 12-1 and one and makes the college football playoff, I don't think that there's any way that you keep Jordan Travis from New York. It is just such a straightforward and obvious pathway, a, a much more manageable pathway, I would argue, than almost any other player on this list. I mean, even Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams to get back to the Pac-12 title game is going to have a heck of a fight with the top of the uh, with uh, with the top of the Pac-12 right now. With uh, with Florida State, I mean, you're basically playing a one game playoff on September 23rd at Clemson, and if you win that game, you are 
kind of home free in terms of making the ACC title game. I, I mean, I don't think that there's another team on that list. You know, you'd have to lose two games probably outside of that one in conference for uh, for Florida State to get knocked out of the ACC title game. So I, I think the pathway is there. I think the talent is there. I love the fact that Johnny Wilson is back for, for Jordan Travis. He became such a great player for them. And uh, I, I think that he just has the most straightforward path. So I still have a wild card pick where I can go take another returning starter at quarterback. And there was a point where I was going to go take Jordan Travis if you mucked around too much, because I do think Florida <laughs> State is a legitimate playoff contender. I think Jordan Travis as the captain of the ship of a legitimate playoff contender is a real thing. And the the issue is a little bit of a statistical thing for him. Last year, he was tied for fifth in the nation in yards per attempt at 9.1. The only power five guys ahead of him were Hendon Hooker, Tennessee, 9.5, CJ Stroud, Ohio State, 9.5. And then he was tied with Caleb Williams, who won the Heisman, and Stetson Bennett, who was a Heisman finalist. But Caleb Williams threw for 4,500 yards. Stetson Bennett threw for 4,100 yards. Jordan Travis threw for 3,200 yards. He just threw it significantly less. He had 100 fewer completions than Caleb Williams. So I think they need to open it up a little bit. It's still captain of the ship, but they need to open it up a little bit because he's efficient, he's productive, he has a good completion percentage, but his stats aren't going to stack up if they don't throw the ball a little bit more. So, But I think they can, I think they might. And if they are in the thick of the playoff race and winning the ACC and getting in the playoff, and he's putting on a show on conference championship weekend, I think the path is really there. And again, this is an elevation of a traditional power that hasn't been that way in a decade. So there's a lot of credit to be had for Jordan Travis here. So I think this is the right pick and we both have our wild card. So we can both go dip in to this returning quarterback thing again. Right now, DraftKings, he's the second favorite. He's 10 to 1. Caleb Williams is 5 to 1. Jordan Travis is 10 to 1. And then we have some people at 12 to 1, 14 to 1, that kind of thing. Blake Corn, by the way, was 30 to 1. He has the uh, the best odds among the running backs. So I think that's a good pick here. And now I will go somewhere because I think I, I want to make a point and I'm going to try to maybe make it multiple times here. And it is a bit odd that the no doubt about it, best team in college football, new modern dynasty has not really been part of the Heisman race the last two years. So I'm trying to figure out what the Georgia Heisman candidacy might look like this year. Stetson Bennett finished fourth last year. And at the time, people were kind of like, oh, what? Why is that? Should he be in New York? And then by the time we got done with the playoff, it was kind of like, I don't know. Should he have won the Heisman? My whole postseason Heisman thing, no, he, he no, might have won the Heisman. No, but he that, like, but he, he, shouldn't he, he played well, right? The year before, Jordan, Jordan Davis, as a defensive tackle, was the highest ranked finisher for Georgia. He was ninth. And that was when on this podcast we're talking about who's the Georgia guy. Is he plays less than half the snaps? How can this be? So I'm going to take Brock Bowers. And I'm going to make sure you don't wild card yourself back into the pass catchers, even though you have Marvin Harrison Jr., because this guy has been building it up for two years. If they start using him in even more creative ways, I mean, they're running jet sweeps to the tight end sometimes. So they, they're going to figure out how to get this guy the ball. Georgia is in, in a quarterback battle also. Brock Bauer's odds are 100 to 1. But in a world where Carson Beck is 25 to 1 and Brock Vandegrift is 35 to 1 as the two guys at the top of the Georgia quarterback battle, I just like Brock Bowers more. 
because I don't, again, like the, those guys would have to be individually spectacular in addition to piling up stats because otherwise their stats are going to include, we would imagine, a whole lot of Brock Bowers who people already think is awesome. So can a tight end win the Heisman in this day and age? Well, he's really more than a tight end. He's the number one offensive weapon for the best team in college football. That's the case. And then we can get into a whole wacky tight end winning the Heisman kind of thing. And then people can say things like, well, there's nobody like Brock Bowers. And if he's putting up, you know, 140 yards of offense per game or something, I just, I think it's possible 100 to 1 again. That seems, I would take a shot at better than, than 100 to 1. I mean, I, I think there's more of a path than 100 to 1. So I'll take Brock Bowers here. And really, I don't, I don't know that either of us will dip back into the pass catchers for a wild card pick here because I think it's Marvin Harrison Jr. and Brock Bowers and then anybody else. I'm not even sure how you would get there. So what do you think of this Bowers pick? No, it's it's the right pick for sure. I, I really, I mean, after you go Bowers at pass catcher, I really don't even know what direction you'd potentially go. Like, I mean, maybe you like uh, neighbors over at, at LSU potentially. I, I don't know. I have no idea what direction you go after this. So this was a no-brainer type pick. I think that uh, for me, I was disappointed the level of which Bowers was erased from the discussion last year because I felt like he was so integral to what they did. And even when Brock Bowers isn't getting the ball, usually Georgia's offense is built around the fact that Brock Bowers could get the ball or he could block somebody. And teams were just so dang afraid of Brock Bowers that they shifted their entire defense to stop him. The the question I think for Bowers heading into 2023, especially with a new quarterback, obviously sets and bended off to the NFL and without Darnell Washington there is does the staff with Mike Bobo taking over at an offensive coordinator, do they, do they lean on him the same way or, you know, do they, or do they expand his role? Right. Because last two years, 882 yards, 13 touchdowns, 942 yards, seven touchdowns. So like very, very good tight end numbers, but not like elite pass catcher numbers. Will they get him into that 1200, 1300 yard range at tight end? Will they get him into that 10 touchdown range? I think it's possible. I think that's the smart money because I do think that he is such a weapon. But it is a question that uh, that certainly he'll need to answer and that staff will need to answer. So it, it's the right pick. But at the same time, I'm I'm glad that I got Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for rubbing that in. All right, pick seven to you. <laughs> so uh, defense is hard. Like this is a year where there's a lot of turnover on the defensive side of the ball there's uh you know there's a couple guys coming back but it's just such an exodus in the in terms of like the elite defenders Jalen Carter's gone Will Anderson's gone uh you know Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech is gone so so many of the top defenders Tuli uh Tui Pelotu's gone from USC as well Isaiah Foskey's off to the NFL so a, a lot of really good players gone but I'm going to make an investment type pick in a player who maybe the second half of last year was the best defender in college football. You could argue I'm going to go with Harold Perkins at LSU. I have two defenders on my list and he's one of them. Yeah. He, the second half of the year. Well, well, let let me contextualize this. Harold Perkins is like still kind of learning how to play football a little bit. 
But once LSU was just kind of like, why why don't you go and like run after some dudes and tackle them? Oh my gosh, he was he was incredibly scary in that last little stretch of the season for LSU. Finished with 13 tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks in kind of a partial season, you could argue. Like he he wasn't really a major contributor until the second half uh, of the season. And that Arkansas game that he played last season was just so stupid. Like he was just in the backfield every single play. Arkansas had no idea what to do with him. Uh, you know, that was like the moment where it was like, okay. Okay, this this is like this might be new Will Anderson. Like that that's what it felt like. It felt like this might be new Will Anderson. I think that their skill sets have a lot in common. I, I think that uh Perkins is a little bit more maybe athletic, but is kind of wiry. I'm gonna be curious to see if they add a lot of weight onto him. It, it sounds like they might be trying him out a little bit more at inside linebacker too, which uh, you know. I, I don't know if I like that, but we'll, we'll kind of wait and see what they end up doing with it. I, I have confidence in Matt House and that staff to, to put him in good positions. But, I mean, he had a tackle, and a, uh, a tackle for a loss and a half against Georgia, who obviously a really, really good Georgia offense with a great offensive line. Uh, he had three sacks, like I mentioned, against uh, Arkansas. He had one against Alabama. He had one against Ole Miss. I think that we are really talking about a player who has a chance to ascend next year in college football. And, uh, you know, I keep coming back to a Lincoln Riley quote, which is this first USC team should be our worst team and we should get better from there. And I think we have to ask that question about LSU too. Is this team only going to get better after making the SEC title game in Brian Kelly's first season? It's a good question. They've got a, a quarterback coming back. They've got a lot of production coming back on both sides of the ball. It's a lot to ask for them to make the SEC title game two years in a row. But if they do, I, I think that Harold Perkins will be the star from this team. Yeah, I think it's a good pick. Uh, Jaden Daniels at quarterback is the guy who's kind of on the board as the the LSU Heisman candidate at 20 to one. But and that's boring. That That's that's a terrible bet. Don't don't make that bet. <laughs> this guy is kind of plays the game a little bit different. They did use him a lot on the edge last year. As you said, Brian Kelly's been talking to during spring football about they want him more inside, playing more typical linebacker things. Does that mean fewer splash plays for him? I don't know, but he popped. He had people talking about him a year ago, and so I like this pick. It's I, I probably had him second on my list of defenders, so I'm glad I'm going to be able to make that pick later, but I think this is a smart way to go, and I am going to, with pick eight, go back I'm going to use my wild card here and I'm going to go back to the returning starting quarterbacks. And I'm, I, I want to make sure I get this guy. Cause I think again, path is there and the path is there because he led the nation in passing last year. And we think his team has a chance to be a playoff contender this year. So I'll take Michael Panix jr. At Washington, who is 14 to one. He's in a group it's like a Bo Nix at Oregon, Drake May at North Carolina, Michael Penix Jr. at Washington kind of group after Caleb Williams and Jordan Travis. And so I wanted Penix there because he's going to put up ridiculous numbers. That sort of is, I don't know that that's much of a conversation. And if Washington hangs around a little bit more, if Washington is just a team that's in the discussion more, Washington lost back-to-back games to UCLA and Arizona State, in late September and early October last year. It was the only two losses of the season, but it kind of took them off the board a little bit. And they, they're they one and two in the Pac-12, and we're just not talking about them the same way. 
But if they stay in the race and Penix is chucking it around, he had only two games last year where he was under 300, no, three games under 300 passing yards. One was in the bowl against Texas, was 287. He threw for 298 against Oregon State, and his lowest of the year was 229 against Colorado because it came out of the game in the third quarter. But the rest of the time, he's he in the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games of the year was over 300 passing yards in every game. He had a 516-yard passing game in there, Shahan. And I, it's just going to be – I don't think that's going to change. He averaged 357 yards per game last year. That was nine, That was 18 more than the guy who was next. 31 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 65% completions. I just think we're still going to see that. And I think Washington has a chance to be there all year. They have a big game uh, at home versus Oregon on October 14th. But Boise State, Tulsa, Michigan State, Cal, Arizona, I think they should be 5-0 and going into that game. They're at USC in November. The path is there. And so I wanted to make sure I got Michael Penix. No, he was he was definitely somebody I considered as my returning quarterback, somebody that I considered as my wild card. Although now that you've taken him, I can go with my really wild wild card, uh, which I'm excited about. And, uh, you know, I, I, I bring up the idea of being able to match or exceed production from last season, but did like did nobody notice that Washington was awesome last year? Like I feel like nobody's talking about it. They went eleven and two last year, and Michael Penix, like you said, led the nation in passing yards. And I feel like nobody's talking about it. Nobody did. Nobody talked about it last year, and, but and nobody still is right now. I don't know what's going to make people talk about it. I'll tell you exactly what's going to make people talk about it. November 4th in Los Angeles, Michael Penix Jr. in Washington versus Caleb Williams and USC. Perfect timing in November against the reigning Heisman winner. If they come out and and Michael Penix outplays Caleb Williams in that game, which is a tall order, by the way. I mean, that's a lot to ask, obviously. The storyline is there. And, And especially if they win that game, they are probably all but guaranteed a spot in the Pac-12 title game, even if they lose some games uh, along the way. So that's probably his pathway. The finish of the year, I will say, is is just so hard. It's at USC on November 4th. It's versus Utah on November 11th, at Oregon State on November 18th, and, and then Washington State, who's good, they should hopefully beat. Like, that is that is a brutal month of November. But if if he runs through that month, and then they win the Pac-12 and have a chance to even be on the border of the college football playoff. I mean, I'm all the way there for it. I think that that's my only concern. That's the only thing that that led me to pick Jordan Travis over Michael Penix, even though I think that, by the way, Michael Penix, I think, is a better player than Jordan Travis, is that Washington's path in the Pac-12, I think, is going to be incredibly difficult. But it also provides lots and lots of opportunity. And guys, just... Stay up, man. Watch the Washington games. They're they're so good. They're so much fun. They're they're so much fun to watch. Uh, I remember last year uh, they played Michigan State, which they played Michigan State again this upcoming season on on September sixteenth at Michigan State. Uh, I remember coming into that game. I felt like man, if Washington comes out and has a good performance in this game, like that's an introduction. That that is setting up a really really good and special year. 
And if they hadn't have just lost to Arizona State for some reason, they would have been in the Pac-12 title game over Utah playing USC for a chance to go to the college football playoff in a play-in game, by the way. It would have been a play-in game to the college football playoff and Ohio State would have been out. But that's not the world we live in. And uh, hopefully Michael Penix Jr. gets his chance to shine once again in 2023. I think there's a real chance that the winner of the USC game, USC-Washington game on November 4th, their quarterback comes out of that game as the Heisman leader. I I think that's very possible. And again, I don't think you both have to, I don't think they both have to be undefeated going into that game because a a one loss Pac-12 champs in the playoff. So I I think that's that's the position that we could be in. Okay, that is pick number eight. We have four left and we'll wrap up our Heisman draft after this on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan, pick number nine to you. I need a new quarterback and a defensive player. You need a wild card and a running back. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. So what you doing? So I'm going to go to running back, and I wish I felt better about my picks. So I mean, since since you're not you're not in the market for a running back, I feel like I can talk about it. Uh, I like Jace McClellan coming out from Alabama. I think that he has a chance to have a special year. Certainly, Travion Henderson's going to have a chance to improve, but I just think too many Heisman contenders on that team. I really like Will Shipley, potentially, from Clemson, but I think that Clemson has to be in the playoff for that to happen. And even then, Cade Klubnick might get the credit over Will Shipley, but they have a chance to use him in a really special way. But I think I'm going to pick a player who actually has a really, really difficult path to win the Heisman, but if it happens, then like it's going to be off the page. I'm going to go with Nick Singleton from Penn Mm. State. Okay. I'm probably, I'm probably a year early on this. Like we're probably talking about him more in 2024, but Nick Singleton as a true freshman rushed for a thousand yards, averaged 6.8 yards per carry, which is just insane. I, I think that he is enough of the alpha in that Penn State backfield that he would get the credit over Catron Allen, but you do run into that same issue as you do with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Um, I, I think the fact that Singleton is a name has been there before. And, uh, and I think that, you know, Drew Aller at quarterback is going to be somebody who I think is receives legitimate consideration at quarterback. But I think, I think that Singleton can really be the guy who settles down that unit. And, they obviously have a difficult schedule. They play at Ohio State on October 21st. They play versus Michigan on November 11th. I, I think for him to win this award, they have to beat Michigan. I don't think they have to beat Ohio State. I, I think that they have to beat Michigan, though, uh, especially in that home game, especially in November late in the year. It's a really tough path, probably not a realistic path. But, man, if this works, it's going to work. There is a pathway... I mean, again, this is probably a better 2024 conversation with Penn State. But if you told me that Penn State manages to go through and shocks the world and wins the Big Ten East this season, I don't think it would be the most surprising thing in the world to me. And if that happens, I think that Nick Singleton is going to have a very good chance of getting to New York. 50 to 1. Not a crazy pick. That's the uh, he is tied for third 
among the running backs in the Heisman odds on DraftKings. Blake Corum and Trivion Henderson are first. Um, I thought you were going to pick your guy. Uh, wait, what's his name? Quentin. Oh, Quinshawn Judkins. Now, see, he he might be he might be the best running back in the country, but also I am a known believer that Ole Miss is mid and is going to finish eight and four next year. So, like, I don't know, man. Keep, keep bringing all these quarterbacks lane. Eventually, one of them will get you to nine and three instead of eight and four. So, no, I just don't think that Ole Miss will be anywhere near good enough. Even though I think that Quinshawn Judkins maybe could lead the entire nation in rushing. So, Quinshawn Judkins, Will Shipley, Nick, Sickleton, Nick Singleton, all fifty to one. The guy that I was talking about of who I maybe was thinking about as a wild card or maybe even taken as my running back is Braylon Allen of Wisconsin. Because people are trained to vote for Wisconsin running backs. Braylon Allen <laughs> That's true. is 60 to 1. Uh, when you look at the Big Ten rushing leaders a year ago, Mo Ibrahim from Minnesota, 139 yards per game. He's gone. Chase Brown, Illinois, 137 yards per game. He's gone. Blake Corum, Michigan, 122 yards per game. He's back. Braylon Allen, 104 rushing yards per game. Nick Singleton, 82 rushing yards per game, but that was as a freshman, like getting rolling, right? So it like, took a while to get rolling. Um, and Nick Singleton averaged 6.8 yards per carry. Braylon Allen, 5.4 yards per carry. I do think, I looked at like, Wisconsin doesn't have to be great for their running back to finish in the top 10 of the Heisman. Monty Ball, this is in the last decade plus. Monty Ball from Wisconsin in 2011. Wisconsin was 10-2 and two at the time of the Heisman vote. He finished fourth. Melvin Gordon, 2014, Wisconsin was 10-2. He finished second. Jonathan Taylor in 2017, 18, and 19, finished in the top 10 of the Heisman voting every single year. Wisconsin was 12-0, 7-5, and 10-2. And At the time of the Heisman vote, he finished 6th, ninth, and 5th. So in a world where we think Luke Fickle in year one, they're improving the passing game. Do you get lighter boxes? Do the running backs actually get a chance to bust out more because they're not such a heavy run-first team? I like the Braylon angle, Braylon Allen angle a little bit there, but the idea of like, here comes Penn State in a world where I think it's possible Michigan and Ohio State are two of the best four teams in the country, and here comes Penn State, I like it. I like the path. I like the idea about it. So I think Nick Singleton is a very interesting pick by you here. No, and and I love Braylon Allen. I think that he, again, like Judkins, has a chance to be one of the best running backs in the entire country. my concern is this. Last year, Wisconsin ran the ball on 61% of their plays, and uh, and uh, three-fifths of those went to Braylon Allen. Uh, do you know who led North Carolina in rushing yards last season? I don't. Drake May at quarterback. Uh, Phil Longo, I, they're, they're, going to, they're going to run the ball. Phil Longo is not a dummy. He's going to give the ball to his best players. We saw that, obviously, uh, whenever they did have, what was it, uh, Javante Williams and Michael Carter were both in that backfield, I believe, and he he handed the ball off to them plenty, of course. But I agree, they're going to be lighter boxes, and maybe Braylon Allen will have a chance to be an even more effective player. The question for me is, does he have a chance to be as productive a player as he's been in recent years? Because you you said it. We are conditioned to to vote for Wisconsin running backs, although I will say too, to, to maybe take them for a little bit too much for granted uh, because there have been some awesome running backs who maybe didn't even get as much attention as they deserved because they were just thought of as Wisconsin running backs. I, I think that Allen is definitely the next in line among these great Wisconsin running backs. I, I just don't know if he's going to have 
the focus on offense. And then you throw into it that, you know, obviously we don't exactly know what Wisconsin's going to be next year from a competitiveness perspective. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and pick my new quarterback and I'm not going to pick anybody from the three big quarterback battles happening in college football right now at Ohio state. Kyle McCord in the Heisman odds is 22 to one. Devin Brown is 60 to one at Georgia. Carson Beck is 25 to one. Brock Vandegrift is 35 to one. And at Alabama, Ty Simpson is 40 to one and Jalen Milrow is 50 to one. So those are the two guys battling at the three biggest programs in college football. And I just, I just don't see it at the moment. If you want to tell me that, I mean, they're going to be good teams, but are they going to be quarterback driven? Are they going to be, I mean, we, and the thing is too, we do have to realize, right? The guys jump on the scene. Bryce Young jumped on the scene and won the Heisman. So sometimes it's nice to have a little bit of a runway and a a lead up to it. Sometimes you're just awesome in the first time anybody really sees you and you go win it. So maybe Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson will do that. Maybe Carson Beck or Brock Vandergriff will do that. I'm not going to pick it. Joe Milton at Tennessee is 18 to one taking over for Hendon Hooker. Drew Aller at Penn State, as you mentioned, is 22 to one taking over for Sean Clifford. I'm also not going to take them. And I am going to take a guy that's partially a bet on the player and partially a bet on a coordinator. And I'll take Cade Klubnik at Clemson with Garrett Riley coming in. Are we seeing a rejuvenation of Clemson quarterback play after a rough year last season with DJ Uyunglele? Now, the thing is, Cade Klubnik and Joe Milton played each other in a bowl game, Clemson versus Tennessee. And Joe Milton kind of had a better game and Tennessee won. And Joe Milton threw three touchdown passes and Cade Klubnick threw two interceptions. And it's like, okay, well, and Joe Milton has better odds right now. And Joe Mil- Milton's been around forever. Joe Milton, I think, is a sixth-year senior. Cade Klubnick's a second-year guy. But this is really a lot about Garrett Riley. And will he come in from TCU, re- revamp the Clemson offense, and make Cade Klubnick look awesome? And then Clemson's back to being Clemson. So I'll take a flyer here in my non-returning quarterbacks. And again, he is 30-1. to one. No, I, I don't hate it at all. And the other part of it, too, is that if Clemson flips, I think that there's been a lot of narrative about DJ not being that guy and Cade being that guy. And if Cade had only started earlier, which, you know, I, I've been clear on this program, I, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag because there's a lot of games that I think they lose if Cade Klubnik is the quarterback instead of DJ Uyongalele. But the narrative would be there if, if they do get back to playoff contention that oh, we just had a blip, we started the wrong guy, this guy ended up being a bust for us, and then we got another one of our great quarterbacks right in line, and it all worked. Uh, I'm still worried about their receivers. I, I still think that that's a big question mark for them. But, you know, they they have high-level recruits. They've developed at a high level before. I, I think that there's a pathway there, at least. And again, if Clemson gets back to being, you know, uh, winning the ACC with one loss. And even if they finish fifth in the playoff or whatever, like that's, that's real. And I think that Kate Klubnik would receive a lot of the credit for it. So I, I think that this is a good, I, I, w- I would bet against this in terms of uh, actually competing for the Heisman, but you know, especially if we're trying to get guys who finish in the top 10, I, I think that Kate Klubnik absolutely has a pathway there. All right. Last two picks for you. It is your wild card, right? Look at you saving the wild card until the end. So go be wild. 
I'm going to go be wild. So let me ask you a question. Hmm. Is it possible, like physically possible, for a group of five player to win the Heisman Trophy? Oh, mama. I would. I think they have to be in the playoff discussion. I think the team has to be in the playoff discussion. And I think the player's talent needs to be singular. It's a version of the Lamar Jackson case that your team is good because of you and nobody does it like you do it. So I think where our minds are more and more opening to that, I don't know that the entire Heisman voting populace is all the way there. And they probably have to have a game or two on TV in a big way so that uh, the old farts voting can watch them. So imagine this. What if I told you that there was a quarterback in college football who had 4,000 yards passing, 600 yards rushing, more than 40 total touchdowns, also did something similar the year before that, has won two conference championships, led his team to a first ever top 25 ever, and now is about to become a member of the American Athletic Conference and has a chance to win that league right from the start. I'm talking about Frank Harris at UTSA, who over the past two years, I would argue, has had as good a run in college football as anybody in the entire country. So can I not even be weird about this? Sure. I think for this to happen... I'm going back a little bit to Sports Illustrated and Gordy Lockbaum when whatever it was 35 years ago, they made a case for this Holy Cross two-way dude to be a Heisman candidate. And he got votes as a result. I'll go look up when it was. I think somebody to do this has to present the case to the world. It has to get on the radar. And I'm trying to think if there would be somebody steeped in knowledge of Texas football, who has a national platform, <laughs> who could expose the masses to the argument, open their minds to the possibility, let them get to know this guy. Maybe you go over, you hang out with the guy, you get, you get a little on the personal side, you do that kind of thing. And then you present the statistical case, the winning case. And you make a case, not for the guy to win, but to open people's eyes and minds. Do you know anybody who'd be able to do that? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give uh, Adam Rittenberg a call. <laughs> I think that he'd do it. <laughs> I think his case rests in your hands, Sean. Not to put too fine a point <laughs> oh, on no. it. no. It's up to you. You're asking, could he be a Heisman candidate? I'm asking, could he? <laughs> Could you make it happen? Because I, but I do think like something like that is in service of college football. The case, the presentation, right? The opening of the idea of it. I think you serve college football fans. I think you serve the sport by even having discussions like that. Because I think the one thing this is, the 12-team playoff is going to open up the sport. But it should open us up to everything. So we should be in a place where with the transfer portal, with the expansion, with realignment, we're open to all kinds of new things in college football. And I think this is a great example of that. So go do your thing. <laughs> so, and, and I, I'm glad you mentioned the playoff. I wish that it was 2024. I wish that it was 2024 because if we were in that position, UTSA would be battling for that 12th spot. 
And I think that that would change the game entirely. But I will say, they play Houston in week one, and Houston's a Big 12 team now. I think that that's going to help them out. Uh, It's on the road. And then week four, I think it's week four, at Tennessee. Now, they're going to lose to Tennessee. Let's, let's, I'm, I'm not going to like sit here and lie, right? They're going to lose to Tennessee. Tennessee's really good. They have a, they're probably going to be a top 10 team in the country. But one, uh, UTSA gave Texas hell for a half last season, like real hell for a half. So I think they can hang. I, I don't think they're just going to get blown off the field. And if he comes into that game, if Frank Harris comes into that game and outplays Joe Milton, which I think is very possible, very, very possible, and has a big game, and maybe UTSA just can't keep up for four quarters, but maybe they play two and a half really good quarters and it looks respectable. I mean, that that really kind of, I think, supercharges the case. The one thing that I think is actually going to hurt them is that their AAC schedule is not that special and includes a lot of the teams that they're moving up from Conference USA with, and I don't think they're going to get a whole lot of respect for that. But they do close at Tulane. That's going to, I think, be a big game. Um, North Texas, I think, has a chance to be a lot better. East Carolina on October 28th is going to be a good game. UAB on October 14th. And, and so if they win the AAC, and let's say that their only loss is to Tennessee, and it wasn't a bad loss, I, I think that gets you in the conversation. I, I think that gets you in the conversation. I think it puts you uh, in the vicinity of a top 10 uh, Heisman finish. To, to actually have a chance to be invited to New York, I think that we would need to be in the 12-team playoff and, uh, and and them have a chance to be the 12 seed. But, you know, there's there's really a pathway for UTSA to finish as maybe a top 15-ish team and Frank Harris to get a huge amount of the credit for it. I love it. Pitch it. Go as soon as you get off this podcast. Go call <laughs> your editors and tell them you're going to... I'm writing that down. I'm writing that down. San Antonio to hang out. Okay. I like that pick. And, and again, Drake May, North Carolina on the board. Bo Nix, Oregon on the board. Jaden Daniels, LSU. Quinn Ewers at Texas. J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma. Cam Rising at Utah. Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. All returning quarterbacks that are between 20 and 60 to 1 in the Heisman odds right now. Yeah, and actually one other thing that I will mention real quick, and, and hopefully soon you'll be able to read about it on uh, CBSSports.com, uh, is that... With Frank Harris, uh, you know, we have so much talk about NIL and how it's ruining small programs and stuff. Frank Harris actually is coming back as a COVID senior because the San Antonio business community basically stood up and said, we're going to make it worth your time from an NIL perspective for you to come back. The only reason that this team is coming back fully intact is actually because of UTSA's NIL efforts. So people always talk about NIL in the context of AM quote-unquote, buying a recruiting class or with Alabama getting a transfer. Like, this is huge. This is huge for this program, and it would not have been possible if not for NIL. I like it. See, I didn't even know that. Man, I wish I could read a story (laughs) about how a program and a city and a nation rallied around an underdog Heisman candidate. Okay, I will look forward to reading that at cbssports.com. I'm going to wrap this up with my defense pick. And this is the guy that I I had at the top of my defense list. And I had Harold Perkins second. And again, it fits a path. And I think it's an opportunity that hasn't quite existed. And I'm going to take a Georgia guy. So then it's like, okay, well, what Georgia guy I'm going to take. And I'm going to take Michael Williams, 
who, as a true freshman last year, led Georgia in pressures, right? And I do think he had four and a half sacks last year. This is part of the problem with, with Georgia. They have so many good guys. And their best guys have been deten- defensive tackles all the time. It's like they don't have some. They don't have somebody who puts up Will Anderson or Chase Young numbers or Aiden Hutchinson numbers from a sack standpoint. I think maybe he has a chance to do it. He was one of the top recruits in the country, top five recruits in the country. He played a ton last year as a true freshman, more than four hundred snaps. And I think if they, if he let really lets it rip. I think he is a talented enough player in a position, right? He might be the guy who jumps off the screen for the best defense in the country, for the best team in the country. And then, by the way, maybe he'll have double-digit sacks in a way that we just have not seen Georgia do in the last two years, which has kept them from having like a real, you know, like a hardcore defensive candidate for the Heisman. So he's the guy that I like. For for who he is, for what his talent is, it feels like everybody around Georgia feels like, hey, like this could be coming. This could this could be a gigantic year for this dude. But you've got to have if you're going to be a defensive guy, you have to have stats. You have to have stats, and it's just hard. Jordan Davis was hard to try to like statistically do it, but I think this guy's going to be on the field a ton and just get after the passer enough. You know, he has the one highlight against Ohio State and Paris Johnson, the left tackle, who's going to be probably a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. He beat him for a sack uh, in the semifinal last year. I think it might have been like the first sack, like the only sack Paris Johnson gave up last year. And it's like, oh my God, this freshman got him. Like that's a, that's the kind of stuff, like the little individual moments. By the way, Gordy Lockbaum, fifth in the Heisman voting in 86, third in 87. If you want to go read about, hey, the Frank Harris case. Again, Shahan's going to reference it in his 9,000-word story on CBSSports.com. But I, I like the player and the positioning here, Shahan. If we finally want to get to a place where, like, hey, can we reward the dominant unit in college football if Georgia runs it back and is, at the time of the Heisman voting, on the verge of a three-peat on the back of its defense? And people are like, what? What can we do here? You can do this. It might be, you might be able, this could be the guy through which people could express their appreciation for Georgia defense. I'll take Michael Williams as the last pick here. No, it's an interesting pick. I, I think the question with Georgia is always going to be, are these guys on the field enough, especially on the defensive line? But I mean, the, the talent that Williams flashed last year was crazy. And you mentioned it. I mean, I, I think that if he gets into the, 10 sack sort of thresholds I mean even even maybe slightly less than that if he gets into that area that's probably enough with the way that Georgia plays defense and I do think that people are going to be kind of waiting and looking for a Heisman candidate from this defense you know because I do think you know I felt like in 2022 Georgia was an offensive team I felt like in 2023 they're going to really uh, air back towards the defense and be more of a ball control team on offense. Also, I think that Mike Bobo is a lot worse than Todd Monken, but that's a whole other part of the conversation. Um, and, and something that I think you have to like is that you know you mentioned four and a half sacks from Michael Williams. Two and a half of those sacks came in his last four games. One in each game of the college football playoff against Ohio State and TCU. Another half a sack against Georgia Tech. Uh, and then he also had one against Florida earlier in the year. So I think that as his role grew, so did his production. He actually had a great game. Uh, like you mentioned against Ohio State with five tackles and, and a, a tackle and a half for loss. So 
I see the vision. I think that for this to happen, Kirby Smart basically has to decide that this is going to happen, right? That we are going to try to make a Heisman candidate. And I mean, they won two straight titles and won all these regular season games in a row. Like maybe we're getting to the point where Kirby Smart will come up with side quests and, and start being like, why, why don't we make a defensive player win the Heisman for the first time? I think that's definitely possible, but I mean, and the other hard part about this Georgia defense is like, maybe it's Michael Williams, maybe it's Malachi Starks, you know, maybe it's somebody completely different, right? Who we've never even heard of before who comes up and becomes the face of that defense. But uh, I, I like the pick. I like the the attempt. And uh, certainly, I mean, there is not an obvious name on defense like there was last year with Will Anderson and Jalen Carter coming back. So I, I think it's going to be fun to kind of figure out who to invest in short term. And by the way, something that you have to love about this, both these guys are true sophomores. So this is going to be, I think, a really fun year. And if these guys have big years, they also come back in 2024. Yeah, it's a, it was a, such a young defense last year that they are, they are still going to be pretty young this year. I do think the case, somebody in the Georgia marketing or sports information department has to make a decision here that they want to do it. Orlando Pace at Ohio State as an offensive lineman finished fourth in the 1996 Heisman voting. And Ohio State, I, I wasn't covering them, but I'm pretty sure like they were like handing out like pancakes to voters. Like to, they like made a case. If it's not a quarterback, you have to make a case. You have to expose people to it. So George is going to have to decide like, man, we've accomplished all there is to accomplish, but like we're missing out here. We need to help people. So it's no, it's not an affront to anybody else on the defense, but let's look at the stats. Let's look at the splash plays. Let's look at the excellence of an individual player and decide, let's do this. And then come up with something. Help the voters. Direct their energy. They, I think people want to acknowledge George's excellence. But as you're saying, if it's like, well, we have 14 great guys who all play 400 snaps. It's like, okay, well, I... <laughs> What do you do with that? What do you do with we'll that? Just, we'll just vote yeah. for Stetson Bennett or we'll all just vote for Caleb Williams or what are we supposed to do? But they've been this team and it's just odd. It's just an odd thing. So if you coalesce around the guy, I think I think that guy really would, if they're on the verge of a three-peat at the time of the Heisman vote, I really think this would be a, a, a way. Manti Teo, I voted for Manti Teo. Sure. The Johnny Manziel year because I felt like he was the most important player on the best side of the ball for a team in the playoff hunt. In, you know, they were going to play in the national title game. And, and I think you could say at the time, the best team in the country. Obviously, it didn't turn out to be right. But especially at the time, it felt like the best team in the country. As a voter, like I was very open to that. It's a defense first team. He's the best player on the defense. OK, let's do this. The problem with Georgia, we know Georgia's a defense first team, although by the end of last year, they might have been an offense first team. But we just don't know who the best player on the defense is. It's too hard to figure out. So they have to help us. Yeah. Yeah. So two parts this one, I still think that it's criminal that people decided that Jordan Davis was the guy to coalesce around instead of N'Kobe Dean. I think N'Kobe Dean maybe could have won, uh, probably wouldn't have won the Heisman, but I think could have finished second or third because he was incredible and I think deserves uh, a lot more attention than even he got. And he got a lot of attention. The other part of this too, is that, uh, no, I, I was curious. You were going to go on the defensive side of the ball, you know, two other names that I will mention, Jared Verse from Florida State was incredible last year, and it's 
kind of shocking that he's back. He was a transfer from Albany and ended up having nine sacks in his first year. And I know he was rated the number one transfer by a lot of places uh, whenever he did come up from FCS. So he's somebody who, if this is a really defense-focused team uh, at Florida State, if their defense really improves, uh, then I think that he could get some consideration there. And Dallas Turner maybe can be the guy who like replaces Will Anderson and is like sort of the next in line there. And and I think, you know, they're going to be built a lot different. I think next year without that sort of super dynamic quarterback, I, I, I mean, again, this kind of gets a little bit too much into what I think Alabama will look like, but if it is Jalen Milrow, I think this is a grinded out team. And I think that they prove that by going and getting Kevin Steele and trying to basically get back to business on that side of the ball. And uh, and if that were to happen, I think that uh, that Dallas Turner kind of stands apart as that guy. Although, I mean, obviously, Kool-Aid McKinstry is also going to be somebody who gets a lot of attention to. Two years ago, when Jordan Davis finished ninth in the Heisman voting, he played 378 snaps and had a PFF grade of 82.6. Nicobe Dean as a linebacker, so Jordan Davis a defensive tackle. Nicobe Dean at linebacker played 663 snaps. That's 663 to 378. And Nicobe Dean had the highest PFF grade for the Georgia defense at 91.8. So again, people were looking for help and like Georgia didn't kind of give it. And so we went to Jordan Davis. And I remember you talked about it a ton of like, he didn't even play like play half, like half the snaps. What are we doing? So in the end, um, it's just a, it's a it's a tough road for a defensive player. But the idea that w- that it would come from the best team, which is a defense first team, I think is like the first steps in that happening. So in the end, our Heisman draft. Number one, Marvin Harrison Jr., the Ohio State receiver. Number two, Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback. Number three, Sam Hartman, the Notre Dame quarterback. Number four, Blake Corum, the Michigan running back. Number five, Jordan Travis, quarterback from Florida State. Number six, Brock Bowers, tight end at Georgia. Number seven, Harold Perkins, linebacker at LSU. Number eight, Michael Penix Jr., the Washington quarterback. Number nine, who did you pick number nine? Your running back? Who was your running back? Uh, Nick Singleton. Nick Singleton from Penn State. My apologies. Number 10, Cade Klubnick. That's my bad handwriting. It just said slurry. What it's like, I, it's like, I, <laughs> I got an S and there's nothing else that looks like a legible it, it, part of the alphabet. Is that going to be his, uh, his new nickname? Yeah. Uh, uh, Nick Slurry Nick Singleton? Slurry. Oh, man, that's slurry. <laughs> uh, he goes down smooth. Cade Klubnick was 10th, the Clemson quarterback. Um, the wild card is Frank Harris from UTSA. For Shahan as a returning starting quarterback, and then Michael Williams, the, my defense pick at number 12. Again, those were our parameters. It's not like we think those are necessarily the 12 best Heisman candidates, but this was a way to, to look at some of the best players in college football through this lens. We'll continue to do this. We'll start talking a little more about spring football. Michigan just had its spring game this past weekend. A lot of schools have theirs lined up like two weeks out, three weeks out. We'll get to those as they come down the pike. But for now, go read Shahan's uh, nine-part series. Frank Harris, can he win the Heisman? Available only at cbssports.com. For now, we appreciate you guys listening. For Shahan, I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.